0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 7, from verse 37. For those of you who came early to our prayer meeting, this scripture will be familiar to you, because Gift read the scripture this morning. And so, my reading it again is simply confirmation, because there is something that the Lord is busy saying to us at this time and season, isn't there? There's a call from the heart of God, there's a flow of the Spirit that is taking place. And I believe the more we press into it and the more we catch the heart of God, the more we begin to flow with it and experience everything that He's calling us into. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 says this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We see here a beautiful invitation of Jesus saying, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Are you hungry? What does he mean? He's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about a hunger in in your heart to know God, There is something within every one of us, and it's there because God put it there. It's not there by accident. A desire to know our Maker, a desire to draw near to God, to understand Him. Every one of us has within us a desire to be loved. Amen? We all want to be loved. Why? Because that's how God made us. You see, He has made our hearts ready and receptive to Him, because He is love. Now, we can obviously find that in various places and we can look to substitutes. But there's a call that God is, uh, there's a call that comes from the heart of God that encourages us to draw near to Him, that woos us and, and, and asks of us to seek after Him. Why? Because He's elusive? No, because He wants to be found. There's a beautiful thing in God that He doesn't hide things from us, but He hides Himself for us because the discovery is in the pursuit. I always liken it to Easter eggs. We don't hide Easter eggs from our kids. We hide Easter eggs for our kids. Our desire is for them to find it before the ants do. And so there's this, there's this, there's this same longing in the heart of God. And I know a little while ago I was speaking to you about this, the pursuit of God and asked the question, you know, surely I don't need to convince you that God is worth pursuing. And yet, there's so much out there these days trying to convince the people of God that He is worth pursuing, and that He should be pursued, and that prayer is important, and that gathering together with the saints is important, and that worship is important. And I grapple with this, because if, if I need to be convinced that the one I profess to be my God, the one I profess to be, the one I live my life for, if I have to be convinced again and again that He is pursuing, what does that mean? That means that along the way, I've taken my eye off the prize. That along the way, my heart has shifted. And it shows me what the state of my heart truly is. There's either a substitute I've drawn away from, or my heart has grown cold toward God. But at this time and season, we all know that there is a a call of God coming out saying, come to me. I I want you to draw deeper. I want you to go deeper into me, and deeper into my love, and deeper into my word, and deeper into my presence, because there, is where you're going to meet me, and there is where you are going to be fundamentally changed in the core of your being. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 47. Now we're going to read a fo- fairly long portion of Scripture here. Ezekiel was a prophet of God, and he had he's probably most famous for the vision that he had of the Valley of the Dry Bones. You've heard of that. But this is another one that he had. He has this he had this vision. He was obviously a young man, hey gift, a young man because he saw visions. It's the old ones who dream dreams. And he has this vision and he starts articulating this vision. By the way, I want to just pause for a moment. Pause there, we're going to come back to that. It's interesting to note what Jesus said. I focused on the thirst for a moment. But actually what Jesus spoke about there, he was talking about the Holy Spirit that would come, as we know he hadn't come yet. But he made a promise. He says, those who come to me and and, and ask of me, out of their belly, out of their innermost man, will flow rivers of living water. You know, it's amazing in Cape Town, we saw some pictures circulating this week after the rain that we've just had, of rivers flowing into our dams. And that was an incredible thing because you don't really appreciate that until you've had drought and until you really are struggling. And we see this and we just watch water flowing and it's this amazing, it's like something we've never seen before. It's amazing. And it's almost as though God wants to give us that same level of expectation. I heard a story a little while ago, somebody who grew up in in a part of Namibia where it hardly rains, and she was about five and a half, six years old before she saw rain for the first time in her entire life, and ran inside petrified because the water was falling from the sky. And it almost feels like that in Cape Town, doesn't it? we all run outside when it rains. Ah! And there's the promise of living water flowing from the heart. And it's amazing that it doesn't say a trickle. Doesn't say a little bit, but he speaks of rivers. Plural and 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 strong. A river is not a is not a stream. A river has a flow to it. Some rivers are turbulent, some rivers are. They look so calm, but as they say in Afrikaans, still of up deep. Is that right? Have I got that right? Not quite, but you get the gist of it. Speaking of rivers. And I want you to just think about that for a moment with me. Rivers of living water coming from where? From deep within my heart. That there is supposed to be Jesus promised to you and to me so much more than just what we know. So much more than just the everyday. So much more than just a routine. So much more than just a hollow religion of works and of doing and of things that need to be offered up. But something from which life flows. And as we sort of draw that analogy, I want to bring us back to Ezekiel because he was had a vision of something which was to come. This river of life. And he starts from verse 1 of chapter 47. He says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold, the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east, oh, sorry, and when a, the man went out to the east with a line in his hand, he measured out 1,000 cubits and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters and the water came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 cubits and it was a... Sorry, where are my knees? Again he measured a thousand and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again he measured one thousand, and it was a river I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he returned me to the bank of the river. Pause for a second. It's as though... There was this call, measuring, going deeper and deeper and deeper, ankles, knees, waist, until we're so completely lost in that river. And this is talking about the flow of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's alluding to. That's what the prophetic message here is. And Jesus said that there will come a time where there are those who are led by the Spirit, and they'll be a peculiar people. For you won't know where they come from, and you don't know where they're going, but they're in the flow. Amen? They're in the flow. They're not ankle-deep or knee-deep or even waist-deep. They have gotten lost in the flow. It's as though there's nothing anchoring that anymore. It's it's a free flow in the Spirit. And it's very interesting. He takes Ezekiel through all of this and he experiences the flow and then he brings him back to the shore. It's as though he shows him what could be and then brings him back to where he was. So much of the Word of God, Gift spoke about this morning, shows us what could be and shows us what should be. As already spoke about, those covenant things that belong to you and me. That's what could be. That's what should be. But we can never get there by just jumping in. We have to start where we are. Amen? He goes on from verse 7. When I returned there along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. Everything that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. Some translations or some commentaries will even say that this river is flowing into the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, the saltiest water on earth. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea, and this river is powerful enough to heal that. So it doesn't matter how salty your soul is. How hard but the word of God, that the word the Spirit of God can come in and heal. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En-Gedi to En Iglaim, forgive my pronunciation, and they will be places spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. What is a swamp and a marsh? What what differentiates a swamp and a marsh from a river? A swamp and a marsh is stagnant water. A river is flowing water. Anybody knows that you can go to a river stream and you can drink from it. If it's flowing clear, you can drink from it. it doesn't matter if it's a little bit brown. You can drink and you'll be fine. You cannot drink from stagnant water. You will be sick. The speaking of the Spirit that is flowing, speaking of a heart that has not reached a place of stagnation in its relationship with God, but that is continually pressing in, that is flowing in the things of the Spirit, that is keeping up with where God is leading and with the the breathing of the Holy Spirit. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, the fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine. So you see that this is a parable that is, wherever this water goes, wherever this water is allowed to flow, there is life. And the picture that I have is that there's a flow taking place, and God is calling us deeper and deeper and deeper into that flow, that we may get lost in His life, the life of the Spirit. You see, wherever the life of the Spirit leads you, it's going to bring life, healing, restoration, love, identity, freedom, deliverance, all of these things are part of the flow of the Holy Spirit within the earth. Amen? What this parable speaks of, folks, is it speaks of a call. Last week, I know many of you were here at the altar responding to the call. And God has been speaking to us about prayer and our intimacy with Him. What God is talking to us about is a pursuit. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is it that I want? Is this what I want? Do I want God or do I want something else? You see, because as soon as you set your mind to answering the question, what do I want? You also need to understand that what you want comes at the expense of something else. Something has to be let go of in order to take hold of what you truly want. It's very interesting. Have I got it right? John 7, where he talks about the flow of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I don't have the context right, so I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, he, Jesus also, he, he makes analogies, and he says, which of you wanting to build a house doesn't first count the cost? Amen? Amen doesn't first count the fact of saying, this is what I want at the expense of all others, at the expense of all else. This is so much more important to me. The question is, what do I truly, deeply value? You see, there's nothing that unlocks and changes our hearts quite like knowing that we are deeply and genuinely loved by God just the way we are. The pursuit of God, of you, God's pursuit of you is what unlocks your heart to pursuing Him. And it invites us into the pursuit of discovering His wonderful and His incredible love. You see, the Bible says that we love God. Why? Because He first loved us. It's His love and it is His goodness that draws us into repentance and draws us closer to who He is. Turn your Bibles with me in the book of Matthew, please i want to read a few scriptures and a few parables of what the kingdom of God is like so that we can just get an idea of value. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We'll have it up on the screen here. Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. You've got to understand the context of this parable. You see, if a slave was out and tilling his master's field and he found a treasure, who would that treasure belong to? His master. It was his master's field. And so we see here the picture of somebody in a field and he finds a treasure. And he sells everything else he has is not worth this treasure. He sells everything else for this one thing. He carries on to say in verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Nothing else that this man possessed. The accumulation of all the other pearls were not as great and as wonderful and as beautiful as this one pearl. You know what the incredible thing is about these parables? They're so often used to talk about our devotion, what our devotion to God should be like. That nothing else is quite as valuable as Him. And we give up everything for Him. But do you know that in the actual context of these scriptures, do you know what they're actually saying? They're saying that you are so valuable to God that He gave up everything. He gave up His only Son. And His Son gave up all of heaven. To come for you. Not, not just everything, but for you. Let me read to you again from Matthew. Verse, chapter 18, from verse 12. What do you think? He says, If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek that one that is straying? We were just saying about that, overwhelming, reckless love of God, chases me down, fights till I'm found, even leaves the 99, that's what it's referring to. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. We have a picture here of a God that is Although sovereign over the whole, so uniquely or or so intently, and and is mad about you, your uniqueness, just you. His His love reaches out to every single sinner, every single person, every single one. And I think in our logic, we say, "Well, that's kind of reckless." You know, you leave 99 for one. That's gone astray. How can you put everybody else in jeopardy to go and find the one? That seems a bit reckless. But how do you you place value? You see, this is the heart of God. that that, that, That one, that pearl, that treasure is of such great price. And that is you in the heart of God. That is me in God's heart such great value that He will leave all things just to come. To that one. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. It's not half-hearted. It's not mamby-pamby. It's not up today and down tomorrow. It's consistent through it all. It's the all or nothing kind of love. It's the kind of love that puts it all on the line. I don't think we quite realize what was on the line when Jesus came to earth? What was on the line when Satan was tempting Jesus out in the wilderness? I don't think we realize what was on the line. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways just as you and I are. It could not have been temptation if there was not a, not a possibility of, of failing. Do you understand? Otherwise it would just be, you know, there's no, there's no point. God put it all on the line for you and for me. And if we are recipients of that kind of love, if we are the object of that kind of love, what does it do in you and me? You see, because this is the kind of love that God has freely given to us, this is also the kind of love that God demands from us. That all or nothing kind of love It says, God, you in turn are so precious to me that I will leave the 99 and chase after you. You are so precious to me that I will give away everything because you, nothing else compares. Nothing else comes close in value. Luke 14, 25, this is the way Jesus articulated it. Now, great multitudes went to him. So Jesus' ministry is is booming. I mean, he's doing really well. His church is growing by leaps and bounds. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is Luke 14, 25-27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those seem like really harsh words. Does, does, Does Jesus really mean I need to hate my father and my mother? I need to hate my children? Is that really what he is preaching here? What he is saying is, your love for me needs to be so great that not even they will take you away from it. Your passion for me needs to be so much greater than your passion for your wife and your children that comparing them, it almost looks like you hate them. Because your passion for me burns so brightly. Your passion and your love for me is so strong that you would rather spend time with me. Your greatest joy, greatest delight is time with me, not time with your wife, not time with your kids. That's quite a hectic message, isn't it? But is that the way we truly approach God? You know what, God? I want to spend time with you more than I want to spend time with my family. That kind of sounds very politically incorrect, because even in church we talk about the value of time, the value of marriage, the value of... family, You see, this doesn't detract from the value of those things. This doesn't detract about being with your spouse and, and working on that relationship. And it doesn't take away from being a good parent and spending time and energy and loving your kids. It doesn't detract from those unless those begin to detract from the love that we have for God. Amen? Where He is first. First. Where He is more important than any other thing. My question to you is, what is it that enables us to love God this way? Is it something we can muster? Is it something we can force on ourselves or discipline ourselves or, or anything like that to do? No. The only way we can love God this way is by opening our hearts to His love for us. That's the only way. It's that love that breeds love. It's receiving love that we're enabled and empowered to give love. It's in celebrating being the object of that love that enables us to enter into the freedom of everything that that love came to give us. You know the song that we just sang? We're going to sing it again at the end of the service. The reckless love of God. First time I listened to the song, first time I heard it, I was out on a run. and I, was, I listened to it, and I, and I agree with the words, and I like the words of the song and all the rest, but it's, to me it was just like, it's just another song about how much God loves me. It just seemed so me-centric. It seemed so focused on me again. and There's just so much of this in the body of Christ. so many songs about how much God loves me. And I almost kind of wanted to push it away and, and say, no, 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 God, I want to be thinking about how much I love you. And, that's kind of, and, and then God made me realize that, that that way of thinking is actually putting the cart before the horse. Because somehow you think that in your own energy, with your own affection, you can love me in an acceptable way without being completely open and letting me blow you away with my love. See, until, I have, until you've gotten pummeled in the avalanche of my love, don't think you can truly love me. Until you have been completely washed away in the surf of my love, don't think you can truly love me. Until you have gone from your ankles to your knees, and to your, from your knees to your waist in my love, and from your waist completely lost in it, and found my love, and found my life, and found my, my spirit and my presence, don't think that you can truly love me in an acceptable way. And so, the secret to me loving God, the secret of me pursuing God, is in allowing me to be his pursuit, is in allowing me, in allowing him to come and pursue me, in allowing him to come and fill me, in allowing him to come and do what he wants to do in my heart. And so, I want to ask you this morning are you standing on the shore? And have you been looking at everything that God has promised and so wanting to be a part of it? Maybe you've walked in a little way and you know, you, you, you've experienced a bit of it. You, you're saved. You've got your ankle deep. You know what? I, I just It doesn't actually matter how deep you're in. God wants you more. <laughs> God wants to love you more. God wants to overflow so that rivers... Of his love rivers of his presence become flowing out from your innermost being from your innermost man while I was away at the conference we were at I was I was blessed there was a lot of really good teaching stuff that was encouraging stuff that was uplifting but there was one prophetic word that was given just a word to to everyone out there but it really struck a chord with my heart because I know it was a word for me personally as well as a word for us as a fellowship. And I want to share that with you. Mark Skultz, you know, remember John Skultz, who was here a few weeks ago? He's part of the Apostolic Council. His son Mark pastors Harvest Church, the church they established together, or the church that John pastored for many, many years. His son has taken over the pastoring of that church, and he stood up and he, he gave this prophetic word. The theme of the conference, by the way, was acceleration. Uh, that there is, and we've spoken about this here already, that there's a flow of the Spirit that God is moving in this time and this season, and there's an acceleration that's taking place. If you look at everything that's being restored to the body of Christ over the last how many years, you can see that there's an acceleration. Things are happening quicker. The return of Jesus is coming, and is coming soon. And, and as we draw nearer to that day, there's an acceleration that's taking place in the kingdom of God for the restoration of all things to happen. So there's a new revival, a new wave of the Spirit that is beginning to flow over over the church of God. Not just our church, but the church of God. We're a part of it. Thank God for that. And this is the prophetic word. He said, years ago when I used to go surfing, he said, I didn't catch many waves. I wasn't that good. But when I caught a wave, it was the most exhilarating feeling of acceleration as you glide down the face of the wave and you begin weaving your path along the wave is an incredible, not just acceleration, but the exhilaration of feeling the flow of the wave, feeling the power of the wave and how it just takes you on. And he said, you know, the surfer has nothing to do with the wave. Surfer cannot create a wave and a surfer cannot stop a wave. All he can do is ride the wave. And it is time and it is season for the people of God to position themselves and align their hearts to catch the wave of the Spirit. What does alignment mean? It means I get in the right place so that at the right time when the current flows through and and the swell comes, I'm there and I'm ready to catch the wave as, as, as it begins to grow and as it begins to peak. He said, some people are standing on the shore watching, and they will see the wave, but they won't ride it. Some people standing on the shore, they can see the river of life, but they don't want to wade into it. They don't want to get their feet wet. They don't want to take off their shoes. It's the Jimmy Choo's. They're very attached to them. He also said this Some people have been riding the white water of a wave designed for someone else to ride. And somebody else has ridden their wave, and everyone else is just still in the white water. I want to say to you, church, I don't want to be a white water rider. I don't want to be in the white water of what somebody else has done. You know, here we sit in a church building with a ministry legacy that goes back over 20 years of what Pastor Andreas and how God has led Pastor Andreas and Cristela and all the things that he has done through them and through their ministry. You and I are a product of that. Amen? But I want to tell you this, there's a new wave that you and I are going to need to ride. And God is calling us to position ourselves and align ourselves. We can't make the wave, and we can't stop the wave, but the wave is coming. And I have a question for you this morning. Are you going to ride with me? I want to ride the wave. I want to experience everything that God has got for you and for me in this season. I want to experience the flow of His Holy Spirit like I've never experienced or encountered in my life before. I want to know His nearness and His closeness and His love and experience His power like I have never known or experienced before. And there is a wave that God is calling out to you and to me saying, get in the water and get ready. You don't want to be watching this wave when it comes. You want to be riding it. You don't want to be playing in the white water of another man's blessing. You want to be on the face, feeling the exhilaration of life, in the spirit when you are not knee-deep or ankle-deep or waist-deep but you are up in the flow of what it is that God is doing. I hope this encourages you this morning because there is a wave of God's love and His power and His spirit and His goodness, all of which you could say are synonymous. Where God's presence is, there is blessing, is there is love is, there is power is. There is a wave of the spirit. That is flowing over the Church of God, and if you understand surfing, you understand that things come in swells. In swells, there are a number of waves, but the tide is rising. It's a spring tide of note, and I I encourage you. As Pastor Andreas spoke to us about prayer last week, that is how we align ourselves and position ourselves to get ready for the wave. Are you excited? cowabunga dudes let's go surfing let's catch this wave let's let's be sensitive in our hearts to what God is saying to us let's be expectant let's be excited it means I'm going to have to leave the comfort of the shore it means I'm going to have to do things that are different that I'm Uncomfortable with, but I want it. Final analogy I want to give you—it's very interesting—and we're not going to go to the scripture, but I want to—I want to show you something that—that do that, you remember the incident of where, where Jesus came to the disciples and they're in the boat and they thought this was there was a ghost coming at them and and then Peter said no 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 it's the Messiah and then he said to Jesus Jesus if it is you call to me to come out and what did Jesus say? Come! Whose idea was it, though? It wasn't God's idea. It wasn't Jesus' idea. It was Peter's idea. But where did Jesus meet him? He met him on the water. He met him at the level of his expectation. He met him. Now, what is your level of expectation? That's the question I want to ask with you this morning. How much more of God? I mean, can you fathom that, Jesus, if it's you? Bid me and I'll come and walk on the water. How did his mind get there? And I can imagine him, you know, just sort of getting on the water and. <laughs> and then seeing the waves. Having one of those cartoon moments. But he walked. He walked. He fell, okay, but he walked. And you know what happened when he fell? Jesus picked him up, and they walked some more. Maybe Jesus did the walking and did the dragging of Peter, but that's okay, there was more walking on the water. And when Peter couldn't do it in his own faith anymore, Jesus' faith picked him up and carried him along. Let's go walking on the water. Let's go surfing. Let's go swimming in the river. Let's take hold of everything that God wants to give us in this time. Let's take hold of everything that He is and his, his heart and His spirit and His love. Let's get washed away in it. And if it looks a bit messy, that's okay. And if it's a bit uncomfortable because it's not church as usual, that's okay. And if we're leading you to do things and speak to people that are completely out of your character and personality, that's okay. Step out of the boat. Walk on the water. And if you fall, He'll catch you. Why? Because you know He loves you. And here's the thing, folks. Here's where this really needs to transition us. From this place of being so incredibly loved and so open to everything that God has for us that we have the realization that as much as God loves me, God loves him, and God loves her. And God has called me to be that river of love to them. Do you see how, what God is doing? We do not reach or change the world just through programs or going out and doing. We reach and we change the world by being changed by Him so completely that we capture His heart for the world. And then there is no stopping us because we go. Amen? So would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.